This episode is brought to you by Teamy Blends. Teamy Blends is a tea and wellness company with amazing detox loose leaf teas and other incredible products. You guys know I am super picky about the brands I work with, and I am seriously so impressed by Teamy Blends. Their ingredients are all hand-selected and ethically sourced with super high-quality stuff. Like they use kaffir lime that helps detoxify the blood, and they also have stuff like Yerba Mate that boosts energy and improves mental focus to valerian root that reduces anxiety and stress. I am all about high-quality and ethically sourced shit, you guys, and Teamy Blends does that the work. And it's Girl Boss founded too, which you know I'm all about. I personally have been loving their 30-day detox and have been feeling so much less bloated and super, super high energy because of it. So check it out. You can go to teamyblends.com. That's T-E-A-M-I blends um, and use the code L-Y-F-Y-L. That's short for live your fuck yes life for 15% off your purchase. Welcome to the Live Your Fuck Yes Life podcast, your place for all things health, wellness, self-care, and real talk. I'm Amanda Catherine Loy, health coach, actor, and badass extraordinaire. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a thought with some serious real talk to help you find your passion, speak your truth, and get you one step closer to living your fuck yes life. Are you ready? Here we go. Hey, 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 you guys. Welcome to episode 35 of the Live Your Fuck Yes Life podcast. I hope you guys are having a fan-fucking-tastic week, and I really cannot wait to share this episode with you. I have been so stoked to be able to start really bringing some new perspectives and probably different perspectives than what you are accustomed to hearing and maybe what I am accustomed to being surrounded by onto the podcast and opening up dialogue on all facets um, to be able to really, really um, get ourselves out of our comfort zones because that's where we stay stagnant and that's where we really, really get on the super, super fantastic, beautiful walking sidewalk where we don't move up right? Where we're constantly staying within our very, very comfortable bubbles of what we know. And there's a lot going on in the world right now, um, especially this week. If you are in North America of any kind, um, there is a lot happening politically um, that is really, really pushing the envelope of what people are talking about and what people are used to hearing and seeing their friends coming um, out about things that have happened to them in their past. And I stand with all of the women that are navigating this. And I am so proud um, to be in a space um, where we can talk about these things. We're going to be talking a lot about mental health in the future as well on this podcast um, and a lot about sexual trauma. Um, but today, we're diving into something very, very different. And if you saw the title of this podcast, um, you know that this is going to be different. And I really want you to go into this with an open heart and an open mind um, and to just put your preconceived notions of what society has taught you and what maybe you have practiced yourself aside for an hour 
and be present in this conversation and see what resonates and what doesn't and learn something new today. Um, But before we get into that, I am super, super pumped to share today's um, review of the week. And it goes out to the Cross Country Millennial on Instagram. Um, And she shared all about um, the Live Your Fuck Is Life podcast on her Insta stories, um, specifically um, about an older episode, episode number 14, how to go from where you are to where you want to be. Um, so check that out if you haven't listened to it. And she said, loving Amanda Catherine Loy and her podcast, Live Your Fuck Yes Life. Thank you so much for the shout out, Cross Country Millennial. You are the bomb.com. All right, you guys. So today I have the incredible Dedeker Winston on the podcast. Um, and we are diving into the topic of polyamory and ethical non-monogamy. Now, Dedeker Winston um, has a very, very interesting, beautiful story that she's going to touch on in a lot more detail um, in the, in our interview interview together. Um, but a little bit about her. She was raised um, in a very wholesome Christian conservative family um, and has since grown <laughs> and evolved. And she now is a sex-positive polyamory activist, relationship coach, and a nude model. Um, she provides one-on-one coaching services for people transitioning into non-monogamy and is also one of the hosts of the Multi-Amory podcast. She has been sought out as an expert for Cosmopolitan, Glamour, Newsweek, Vice, Bustle, Ask Men. And she recently presented a talk at Google on non-monogamy, which is super badass. And she recently, this year, wrote a book that is called The Smart Girl's Guide to Polyamory. And we talk about a lot of things within today's episode, ranging from just what polyamory even is, because I don't know about you, but I hadn't heard about it until a few months ago, Um, you know, moving from her past to where she's at now and being an activist in this way, um, talking about ethical non-monogamy. And it's very, very different than what we might think as, you know, cheating and infidelity and all of the things that um, are so seen as quote unquote normal or um, the more consistent way to be, you know, not monogamous, right? Um, talking about cultural norms and the way that society has defined our expectations. Um, you know, talking about this concept of the relationship escalator, which is super fascinating. We dive into jealousy and all sorts of really fantastic things. You guys, this was one of my favorite one of my favorite conversations that I've had on this podcast. It was just this effortless dialogue. Dedeker is so open and just so unapologetically herself, which you guys know is something that I strive to be every single fucking day. And I just cannot wait for you to dive into this conversation alongside of us. So without further ado, here we go. Um, I'm super stoked to talk to you. I just finished reading your book on Monday and oh my goodness, thank you so much. Um, and I'm just like such a fan of the way I just, I'm such a fan of you and just how like transparent and open you are about every aspect of your life. I just think Mm -hmm. it's really rare to meet someone who is so honest and forthcoming about a path that most people are probably super ignorant about. And I just, I think it's really badass. And it's just like, I'm super, super keen to have conversations on this podcast that are going to 
take people out of their comfort zones and seriously and I just feel like I've been so pumped to talk to you so oh I'm so glad to know that that's so funny that you talk about the like vulnerability because I always joke with people like so like for years and years I've done like a lot of like nude modeling like art Mm -hmm. nude modeling um and the funny thing is that like that the book feels way more exposing to me than like any nude photo shoot I've ever done in my entire life um so I'm glad I'm glad that you enjoyed it and that you read it. I really appreciate that. Why do you feel like that is? Uh, you know, to be totally honest, sometimes I feel like like when I do like the nude stuff, it's it's almost a little bit of like a red herring of like you think I'm exposing myself, mm. but like really there's a whole inner life that I don't tend to expose sometimes. And so yeah, when I wrote the book, it was very much just like this pouring out and this like extremely vulnerable processing. Um and uh so yeah so I don't know like that like that process I think of like exposing yourself so completely um that's like such a growth process right you know like that that stuff that cracks you open you Mm -hmm. know yeah I think that's I I think that being vulnerable with our insides and our hearts is what is what is I think the most transformative to hear about too like I know for me when I hear someone's inner story or struggles that they've navigated or they are willing to be vulnerable with me about how they feel, mm-hmm. that makes me feel like the connection is so much stronger. And while I think that nude modeling, I've personally have never done that. Although I did take nude photos for the first time earlier this year because I'm, I'm gearing oh, really? up for a surgery this this um, this well, winter time. Um, mm-hmm. And I wanted to just like have my body as is kind Mm -hmm, of a thing mm -hmm. and I had like some of my girlfriends take some photos of me at like my cabin and it was really liberating I'd never done anything like that before so wow that's awesome so it was just like just kind of photos just to like have for yourself or did you end up yeah well I've shared them on the internet with like you know my my nipples like start out or whatever um but yeah I don't know it's been that for me doesn't feel scary. So I, I resonate with you when you say that, like to me sharing that those photos didn't feel scary. Um, right. but sharing how I feel about getting my surgery does. Yeah. Seriously. I'd so, imagine. Yeah. Wow. Um, so yeah, anyways. Um, um, yeah, I just wanted to dive right in with you because I feel like I know personally, I had not actually heard of the word polyamory or the term polyamorous beyond like polygamy which I knew a lot about Mm -hmm. from you know all of the media and and the reality tv shows that exist um and so I had no concept of what this was until a few months ago and reading your book was just really fascinating and eye-opening to me and honestly something I've been I've been thinking about a lot just in general because I think monogamy in general just doesn't really feel normal like Mm -hmm. like physically Mm -hmm. like the path that humans would go if it weren't for financial constructs and social constructs yes um and so I've just been really like pouring into your book and into podcasts that you've you've Mm -hmm. done and just like you know other sources and stuff and I just have been finding it like this I'm deep diving down this rabbit hole of polyamory Mm -hmm. and I'm just like Mm -hmm. this is so insanely fascinating (laughs) to me um but I know so many people have no idea what it is and don't believe that it's like a real thing and so I would just love for you to share first of all like what the hell is polyamory um like how did you get in like you know yeah when did you start feeling like okay this is something I'm feeling called to do like what age were you and kind of how has that progressed for you personally 
Sure. Gosh, that was a lot of questions. Let me yeah. see if I can try to like seamlessly flow between all of those answers. Um, so just to start out like with basic definition, you know, polyamory is the practice of having multiple romantic partners concurrently at the same time uh, with full knowledge and consent of everyone else who's involved. Um, it falls under the umbrella of what's called ethical non-monogamy. So as in any kind of relationship or sexual structure that's not monogamous, uh, but is ethical as in mm. it's honest, everyone's kind of consenting, you know, everyone knows what's going on in contrast to, I think what we're more used to culturally, which is unethical non-monogamy, unethical and non-consensual non-monogamy, which is cheating. Um, so that's what it is in a nutshell. Although, of course, like there's a billion people out there who would also argue the technical definition. Um, so don't just take my word for it. As far as myself personally, gosh, I mean, I feel like, you know, the earliest memory that I have, unfortunately, like the earliest memory that I have that felt um, where I remember feeling like like I was non-monogamous or polyamorous is also very much rooted in shame as well. Like it's, it's memories from when I was, I think like a freshman in mm -hmm. high school, like, like early teenage years when, you know, when we're all like first playing with the idea of adult relationships, you know, when we're first getting into our, you know, having our first experiences of having a boyfriend or a girlfriend or having sex or things like that. Um, and it was my first experience where like I had like my first boyfriend in, in high school and like I had this huge crush on him and it was great. And then just a few months later, like I found myself mm -hmm. developing a crush on someone else, even though like I still felt like I was into my boyfriend mm -hmm. and I was still happy with him. And so I was just like really, really confused. And unfortunately, like I interpreted that to mm -hmm. mean like there must be something wrong with me because I think every message I'd been told up to that point, uh, you know, both from being raised in church and from watching every single Disney movie and rom-com was that like, if you really love someone, if you're really into someone, you won't even see anybody else. Like you won't be interested in anybody else. And so I didn't understand how I could feel happy in a relationship and feel like, like I'm satisfied, like there isn't anything that's like lacking here, but, mm. but still be interested in someone else attracted to and interested in someone else at the same time. And so unfortunately, like my 14 year old brain interpreted that to mean there's something wrong with me. Like I must be messed up in some way. Like there must be something broken here. And so, and unfortunately for a number of years after that, like that same pattern would play out where I'd be happy in a relationship and then mm -hmm. get interested in someone else. And it would, you know, catapult yeah. me into this like whole spiraling crisis of like, what is wrong with me? Why does this keep happening? Like, am I actually not happy? Do I need to like break up with this person and, and end up in a relationship with this other person, which is what a lot of people end up doing is just kind of like serial monogamy, you know, that you're with one person until someone else catches your eye and then you're with that person. Um, so for so many years, I did a combination of either serial monogamy or just like really getting down on myself anytime I was interested in somebody. Um, and it wasn't until like my early 20s, and like the cycle was happening again where like I was 
you know, living with my boyfriend at the time and I'd started getting a crush on someone that I worked with and, it, and I was just like really depressed and anxious and so frustrated that this was happening again. And I felt so frustrated that it seemed like the only options, again, the only options available were to either like break up and then try to pursue this new person or to cheat on my partner, which I really didn't want to do because I, like I said, I was still satisfied in the relationship. Um, or to just like buckle down and deal with having a crush and deal with me, you know, being depressed and self-loathing and stuff mm. like that. And I finally reached this point of like, I'm so sick of this pattern and there has to be something mm-hmm. else that I can do. And my best friend, when I was like venting to him about this, he was the one who first suggested like, well, have you considered opening up your relationship? And to be honest, at the time, like I was a little bit like borderline offended that he would suggest that like because because my perception of open relationships at that time was like open relationships are for people who are sex addicts. They're for people who can't commit. They're for people. They're not for people who are in love with each other, with each other. Like that's for sure. Um, but I was just like so desperate mm-hmm. and like at the end of my rope at that point that I started Googling stuff and through Googling more information about open relationships, that's when like I got tur- like turned on to this term polyamory. And gosh, I mean, this was like almost 10 years ago. And so like the state of like information and resources about polyamory on the internet at that time, um, there were certainly a number of resources, but not nearly as many as there are now, you know, like, I mean, this was back before there was a podcast really. Um, and I was digging through people's like live journal blogs, um, to find people's experiences. But it, I think it was that kind of that same thing that, that you just described to me of like kind of doing this deep dive in and, and having your mind blown, like, like it really was this mind blowing moment for me of like, oh, like, what is this? I had no idea this was a thing. I had no idea that, not only is this a thing, but like there's a community around it. There's people who have been doing it for a long time and who have been happy, like really, really happy and and thriving um, doing this thing and, and like, and realizing like, this is the way that I felt my entire life. And instead of shaming myself for it, like there's people out there who like celebrate it and, And so that was definitely, Mm -hmm. you know, the moment that was uh, not to sound too dramatic or anything, but it was kind of like a seeing the matrix moment for me where it was like, oh my God, like there's a whole other level of the game that I had no idea existed. Um, So yeah, so that was kind of at least like my first introduction ideologically to the concept of polyamory. Um, You know, after that, after that, it was, uh, you know, once it was time to actually let the rubber meet the road, um, you know, then I had to deal with the whole issue of like pitching it to my boyfriend. And I like, you know, like I practically pulled together like a PowerPoint presentation to give him like after I'd done all my research and, and then like we struggled with it, like, and it was like really (laughs) shitty for six months. And, and like, cause I didn't know how to communicate and he didn't know how to communicate. And we were like, you know, 22 for God's sake and didn't know what we wanted. And, and so that particular relationship, like that I opened up from monogamy, you know, it ended six months later. Cause like, we just couldn't hack it. But the interesting thing is that like it Mm -hmm. ended and instead of feeling like, whew, well, that was a failed experiment. Like, let's go back to, you know, seeking out a monogamous relationship. 
the feeling that I had was more like, oof, like, well, that, that experiment failed, but like, I want to figure out how to do this better because like, I know even when it was really shitty, like I still knew this is better for me than like compulsory uh, monogamy. And so basically ever since then, you know, then it was just kind of like, uh, it's almost like a weird scientific practice for me of trying on, like, how do I talk to people about this? How do I communicate about this? What particular flavor of non-monogamy do I want? Like, would I be satisfied also just kind of being a swinger or is it like full-blown polyamory, you know? And, and unfortunately it meant that like I broke a lot of people's hearts along the way and I had my heart broken a lot of times along the way. Um, and it wasn't until like maybe four or five years in, maybe less than that, but when I finally like took ownership of like, okay, I know that polyamory is something that I want. And so I'm finally going to be honest with people of like, this is what I want. I'm going to put it on my dating profiles. Like I'm going to be up front. And it was finally at that point that then like, like the right people started showing up, I guess, you know, funnily enough, like when you actually tell people what you want, like then you're more likely to get it. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that was, um, like, so that was kind of like my whole first early introduction. And, and, um, now, you know, since then, now that it's, it's kind of become like more this intersection of not just my personal life, but also my professional life. Cause like now I'm working with people, um, you know, I wrote the book and then mm-hmm. like now I, I work with people one-on-one, particularly people who are trying to figure out what it is that they want or people who are in some kind of non-monogamous configuration and, not able to talk to anyone else about it, you know? Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, I don't know. I, every time I think that I've got like non-monogamy figured out, like something else pops up to surprise me. Um, so yeah, so that's, I guess that kind of like in a nutshell leads me to here I am with you today. Yeah. Isn't that crazy though? I feel like what you just said, how you feel like you're constantly learning and th- once you th- figure you figure it out or think you figured it out, something pops up. But it's not the case with everything in life, right? Like, it, Oh, yeah. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> Seriously. Hearing you speak about this and, and, and reading your book and, and knowing some people who, who navigate this lifestyle, it's just like, okay, it doesn't seem that far-fetched. And it just sounds like it's just another way of practicing relationships and finding what works for you mm-hmm. and... And just being really communicative, right? Like, I imagine that that is key. And I know personally, like, in all of my relationships in life, like, if I don't have strong communication skills, I'm not going to be able to get what I need out of that relationship either, right? So, I mean, I imagine that's the foundation of what you have navigated as well in your own life. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the thing is that, like, like, I essentially, you know, once I got past, like, the early tumultuous years, it's not it's not that I can say that everything after that was like perfect and drama free. But what I do tell people is that like polyamory and ethical non-monogamy when it's functioning well is really boring. And like, that's a good thing. Like it's just as, as boring and like day to day as Mm -hmm. you know, the average monogamous relationship that you see, like it is just kind of a different format. Like, and I think people get so hung up on the like, well, do you have group sex or like how many partners do you have? How do you deal with jealousy? And like, those are all important conversations to have. But it's so funny that it's like my life now, 
you know, like I have two partners, but it's, it's, I don't know. It's the same, like, you know, Netflix and pajamas and taking the trash <laughs> out and yeah. going to see the, pay- it's like all the same exact stuff. Um, but yes, you know, but as long as it's like highly functioning, like kind of built on this basis of having good communication, then for the most part, everything's fine. The same way that it is like in a monogamous relationship, if you have like kind of that healthy ongoing communication. Mm-hmm. And yet I imagine that a lot of people listening to this are like, but how do you not stay jealous? Like, how does that actually work? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we've been taught to go along this very traditional like you meet a person you stop seeing other people when you decide you're going to be boyfriend and girlfriend you then hopefully work together to you Mm -hmm. know own an apartment or a home and then you get married and have babies and you die together right like that is this this societal path that we've been taught from films and probably from what our parents have shown us and all these things so like, how do you break free of that mentality? And also, like, how do you navigate the stigma attached to this? Because I imagine this is in a lot of ways like coming out as gay or coming out mm. as trans or anything like that. Like, does that feel like you're you're coming out of the closet almost as polyamory? Like, did that feel that way for you? Yeah, definitely. So I, I, I want to put a pin and I want to talk about... Um, you described uh, this concept known as the relationship mm-hmm. escalator, which I think mm-hmm. I touched on in the book. And, and I do want to kind of give some time to that. But first, I'll address the question about coming out. Um, yeah, it's so fascinating because like on the one hand, I feel like, oh, my goodness, like coming out as gay and trans is like from what I understand from like friends that I know who have done it, like just seems so difficult and so potentially heartbreaking and stressful and so scary and vulnerable. Um, And, you know, surely coming out as like polyamorous or non-monogamous shouldn't be that intense, especially for someone like a lot of people who are non-monogamous, you know, carry the privilege of being cisgender or straight or straight passing or things like that, you know, and, and don't necessarily have to worry about the same things that like, queer communities and trans communities have to. However, at the same time, people have some like really, really like acrimonious, deep reactions to Mm. the very concept of people being ethically non-monogamous, like really, really intense, um, which is, you know, when you're not on the receiving end of it, you're able to say like, wow, that's really fascinating. And then when you're on the receiving end of it, it's just like, wow, that really sucks. Um, because I don't know, it's, it's, um, there's this researcher, Dr. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Sheff, and, and she's done like 20 years of research specifically on polyamorous families. Um, a really amazing writer, um, has done some really, really interesting, amazing stuff. But she came up with this concept um, that she called the fear of the fear of the polyamorous possibility. And basically, it's this idea that for some people, the idea of polyamory or non-monogamy is so threatening mm. and so scary because of the fact that it's a more universal experience, like you know, the experience of being attracted to someone who's not your partner. It's not necessarily a universal experience, you know, knowing what it's like to be attracted to someone who's the same sex as you. It's not necessarily a universal experience Mm -hmm. knowing what it's like to feel like you're a different gender than the one that you were assigned at birth. But many more people have the experience of like being in a monogamous relationship and being interested in someone else, whether that was a passing fantasy or if it was actually a full 
blown desire to be with that other person or on the other hand most people have had the have had some kind of touch point to infidelity whether it's they themselves were cheated on or they cheated on someone or their parents cheated on each other or something like that and so I think because of that it's just much more likely that that people are going to have an opinion and a reaction of some kind and it's not always negative but I think that like the really, really negative, fearful, like angry reactions come from that place, often from a place of um, like, I I guess a weird place of like relatability, whether it's, you know, you yourself knowing what it's like to be attracted to someone who's not your partner or having the experience of experiencing the pain of your partner, you know, wanting to be with someone who's not you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, can like count on a million hands like friends or who have either <laughs> mm-hmm. family members who you know like were in you know like cheated on each other and broke up or friends who right. have been cheated on yeah. or cheated you know it, it's that seems like that's okay though you know we've created this societal norm attached to affairs I mean it's in films it's in it's in everything right and yet the concept yes. of having consensual yes. relationships with multiple people feels so foreign like why is that yeah no it it is really strange that's definitely something I've noticed over the years that it's kind of like the way that we see infidelity and I I don't think that on a cultural level that we like consciously think this way but I think subconsciously Mm -hmm. we kind of treat affairs like a weird necessary evil to a certain extent, I think especially like the people who themselves have the experience of having an affair or infidelity that, and I've definitely heard this kind of over and over again, especially from clients of mine who have committed some sort of infidelity that people are aware that what they're doing is not correct. Like, I don't think, you know, there's very few people who are running around, you know, cheating on a a partner thinking that what they're doing is a okay, Mm -hmm. but it is kind of that sense of like, yeah, it's not right. But like, but there's a part of me that feels like I need to do this because of X, Y, and Z. And so I think that extrapolates out into the bigger picture of how we kind of handle infidelity from a cultural standpoint of kind of seeing it as like this weird necessary evil. Um, but then, but then that's the thing is like, it's okay because it's cloak and dagger, because we're hiding it, because we're not talking about it to actually bring it out into the light mm-hmm. and talk about it and talk about the fact that like, Hey, like if you're married to someone for 20 years, you may not always just want to sleep with just them. And that's okay. Like, and, and to say that that's okay, but like to acknowledge that, like, that's kind of the scary part, like to bring in like to kind of put a spotlight on the fact that our narratives around love and sex and romance don't necessarily hold up all the time I think like that's kind of the scary part and why some people feel much more comfortable with the idea of cheating more so than with actually kind of being open and ethical with their non-monogamy right and god forbid we actually be honest about those feelings with our partner right like so I feel like so so many relationships I see are not founded in honesty and, 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 and communication. And so if you don't have those tools mm-hmm. attached to it, like how do you then navigate that? And, and not sharing those things seems like almost the easier choice, the safer choice for sure for some people. Right, right, definitely. I, I'm recently, I mean, 
I've been really coming around to this idea. We, we did a podcast episode about it not too long ago, about this idea of conscious monogamy. Um, because, you know, definitely in writing the book and like doing the podcast and doing my work, you know, the last thing that I want anyone to think is that I think the whole world should be polyamorous um, because right. I definitely don't think that. And <laughs> I'm definitely not out to like proselytize or convert anybody. Trust me. Like I feel like 90% of my job is like telling people to not do this. <laughs> um, but like, I really love this idea of encouraging uh, conscious monogamy as in, you know, like if you're going to choose monogamy, it's monogamy mm-hmm. because you chose it actively, not because you ended up there because it was the default not because you ended up there because you're too scared of anything else. Um, you know, monogamy where you are communicating about like, Hey, how are we going to handle talking mm-hmm. to each other about the fact that we're attracted to other people? Like if I get a crush on a coworker, how are we going to handle that? Like, do we talk about it? Like, you know, you know, like, and having those conversations early on in a relationship, um, like I think is just like really, really fantastic. And, and, you know, I think that, you know, the idea around changing our narratives around romance and love and around monogamy, like they can change, but it doesn't mean that we need to like totally eliminate monogamy altogether. Does does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I think that that's, I think that that's so valid and so awesome that you share because I think so often when we're so wrapped up in something that works so well for ourselves, we want to just like make everyone else know that and, and be really, really vocal about that and, and sort of be like, you should try this on too, because it's amazing. Right. You know, it's like when mm-hmm. you found the perfect pair of pants and you're just like, everyone and their mother needs to try these pants because they <laughs> make my butt look so good. Right. Um, mm-hmm. but I, you know, I think that that's so great. Cause I think ultimately everyone need everyone's needs are different. And I also do mm-hmm. think though, that a lot of the time we're not aware of what our needs, our own needs are. Right. And that so often we just go with what we see, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's why people follow certain political parties or right. follow, have a certain belief system, you know, it's because like, that's what we right. grew up with. So we just assume that that's our path too. Um, right. And so I want right. to, I want to touch on the self-awareness part. Cause I know that's a huge part of what you talk about in your book yeah. and, and just in general, but I want to go back to the relationship yeah. escalator piece because I think yes. I think that that is also something I've been di- deep diving into and I just find it really 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 fascinating that we have this social construct of like what what relationships are and what they seem to always aspire to be. So, can you share a little mm-hmm. bit more about what that is and and how polyamory works into that? Yeah, definitely. So, so I did not come up with the concept of the relationship escalator, um, but it is one that I end up talking to people about a lot. And so it is exactly what you described, this idea that in order for a relationship to be real or to be valid, it needs to be going through this, uh, you know, gradually progressing series of steps, Um, you know, the escalator, it's going up automatically. Um, So as in, you know, it starts from first meeting and then first date and first kiss and first sex and then seeing each other more often and then exclusive boyfriend, girlfriend, and then we move in together and then we get married and then we have kids and then we die. And that like, that's the only way that a quote unquote real relationship can go. And there's no going backwards also, you know, you can't move in with someone and then decide to move out because that's, you know, that means that things are, something's really, really wrong. And, you know, the, the relationship has to be progressing forward. And, 
the, the, you know, the idea of the relationship escalator, like it's in the very air that we breathe. Like it's so baked into our culture to how we view relationships and what mm-hmm. we should be doing in relationships. It's why there's always that conversation of where's this going? What are we doing? You know, that it's always this idea of like this relationship needs to have this forward momentum and forward momentum means this particular direction. Um, and so uh, there's actually this uh, fantastic writer and author out there. Her name is Aggie Says, and she just published a book uh, called Stepping Off the Relationship Escalator, which is all about exactly that, uh, you know, creating relationships that don't need to be tied down mm-hmm. to this particular progressive path. It doesn't mean that you can't have any of those things if you want them but you know just kind of releasing yourself from this pressure that like any serious relationship needs to have that um and so the way that this ends up playing to things like polyamory for instance is like always the question is like well if you have two partners like who are you going to have kids with who are you going to live with who are you going to get married to um and so i mean just to use the example of my own life because that's really the only experience i can speak from um you know, I have two partners right now. Um, my partner, Alex, lives in Singapore full time. And my partner, Jace, lives in L.A. part of the time. And then part of the time, like, we travel together or, or he's, you know, up with family, stuff like that. Um, and so I end up splitting my time to a certain extent. Like, I'll spend part of the year, like, living with Jace or traveling with Jace. I'll spend part of the year traveling by myself or living by myself. And then I'll spend part of the year staying with Alex in Singapore. And now, of course, I have to give the disclaimer that, like, I also am, like, kind of a digital nomad-style life. And so I'm, you know, being location-independent allows me to do that. Um, But I'm not the only person who's doing that as well. That, like, there are a lot of people who are kind of crafting different ways of being able to build these entanglements and entwinements with multiple partners in their life without it needing to be just one person. You know, a person may choose to co-parent with one partner, um, but maybe they choose to be a business partner with a different partner, or maybe they choose to like be married with a particular partner, but then co-parent with another partner or married to one partner, but cohabit with another partner. Um, So, you know, this idea of the relationship escalator, I I guess it's important for people to be aware of because, like, people just put so much pressure on themselves, right? You know, I think, like, I see so many of my friends who, when it comes to the idea of dating, that they'll be like, oh, like, you know, I'm interested in dating, but I just, like, I'm not ready for a quote-unquote like real relationship you know because a real relationship has the relationship escalator attached as in like as soon as I find someone Mm -hmm. that I think checks all the boxes during the job interview that is the first date you know it kind of has to be off to the races (laughs) of escalating things and that's not necessarily I, I think you know the best way to go about having relationships that feel very like freeing to yourself yeah so okay so how do you, and I don't mean to use this word, like, but I guess I will. How do you divorce yourself mm. from that if aspects of the relationship, quote unquote, escalator, like, don't really vibe with what mm. you personally want for your own life? Like, how do you even start to navigate that? Like, do you feel like it's easiest to do when you're kind of single and coming into new relationships? Like, do you see a lot of people who mm. are navigating this as a couple and like they started off? on the relationship escalator but then they're like I don't know if this is for me anymore like how does that how does that work 
I mean, gosh, yeah. I mean, as far as the people that I work with, it's, you know, people from a wide variety of different contexts, you know, people who are single, people who are couples, people who have been high school sweet, you know, who are high school sweethearts and are still married 20 years later. Um, And so I think that's also the other important thing is like, especially when I work people who have already been on the relationship escalator for so long with a particular partner, like maybe they do live with a partner and have kids with them. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously I'm not going to tell that person like, get rid of everything you know and and completely turn your life upside down and throw it all out the window you know and like people are always going to have priority and some kind of structure in their life and again the same thing is like if there's parts of the relationship escalator that you want like that's totally 100% okay and you should definitely go after that and i think this actually circles back around to the self-awareness question because for me to start to I guess to start to be able to like build relationships Mm -hmm. that were escalating, like, I guess in the way that I wanted to, or like, like their forward progression was defined the way I wanted it to be rather than by like, you know, this series of like social benchmarks. Um, I really Mm -hmm. had to touch in with like, what is it that I actually personally want? What is it that like I, me, myself, I, really want what makes me happy what makes me satisfied what makes me feel loved you know um Mm -hmm. and this can be especially hard for people who've been in a partnership for a long time it does become really hard to separate out like what do i want versus what do we want you know um and so for me you know for instance it was kind of realizing like you know i do really enjoy the experience of living with a partner like I do love sharing like that kind of intimate space and having that kind of homey feel and being able to create a a nice cozy space together like I love that but that at the same time like I'm such an introvert and like I go through periods of being like everyone get the fuck away from me and like I need my own space and I need my own like it's not even just my own room I need my like my own city block like get you know like Mm -hmm. knowing that like that's true about me too and so that's why at least at this point in my life, like, I don't think I can live full time with a partner necessarily, you know, like, I don't want to be creating a life where I, where I'm trying to head towards like creating some kind of permanent home with a partner. I don't know if that's going to come up maybe in the future. It's quite possible, but where I am now, that's not the case. Like it's still really important for me to be able to have Mm -hmm. my own space that I can go to. And so that's kind of the funny thing is that like, for instance, you know, with my partner Jace, you know, like, let's say if we spend four or five months living together in the same city, and then I leave, like, to go travel or to go, like, stay somewhere else for a couple months, and people are always asking, like, oh my god, like, what happened with you and Jace? Like, is everything okay? Um, Because, like I said, you can't go backwards on the Mm -hmm. relationship escalator. You can't move in together and then move out and still be together, you know, by conventional rules. Um, but you know, now I've gone through this process of like moving in with, and then technically moving out from a partner, like a number of times now where it's, it's just kind of part of the process. It's not like a, oh, we escalated and got really close and then something bad happened. And so now I need to leave and, and, uh, you know, move out. It was just kind of part of us all taking care of each other and me taking care of myself and what it is that I wanted as far as like my life and my living situation. Mm. 
Yeah. And I think that sounds like it's really closely wrapped up into the things that you want for yourself. And you've done and you've taken the time to ask those questions to figure that out. And I think uh, st- still asking those questions. And, well, it never <laughs> like ends, every single right? Day, like, right? It never <laughs> it ends. Never ends. No. I feel like constantly checking in with, with yourself, with your partner, um, but more so with yourself. Like, I think that I don't know. This has been a personal journey that I've been on myself for the past, I would say, three years where I've actually started asking myself, what do I want beyond just like what do I think is expected of Mm. me or what are the things that I feel like I should want? Um, You know, like what do I actually want? And and journaling and and getting really clear on that and removing like all the pressures Mm. aside and genuinely asking myself that question. and sometimes the answer is really different than what you've been living, right? right? Or what you've known. And so I think that can also be really scary. So true. Because, you know, taking new steps, no matter how exciting they may seem or how in line they may be with what you want, um, it's still new. And our, I know like from all the work I've done with my clients and and myself, like taking steps forward towards those things, uh, our bodies want to like repel, right? Because we want to stay inside the comfort zone. So like, how do you, how do you help clients that you're working with who like have made these realizations either on their own or within, you know, a a previously established monogamous relationship where they're like, okay, I think that I want to explore this concept of non-monogamy and, and, and see if this is a path that, and I think it's right for me, but it feels really scary to take that step. Like how, how do you, how do you help them along that, that journey? (laughs) Well, I mean, I think that for a lot of people, like the first actual step is, is being honest. And it's not just, it's like getting honest with yourself about like, yes, this is something I actually want and want to take action towards, mm-hmm. but also being honest with the people around you. Um, because I think that like, you know, if you're not able to get to that step of like being able to be honest and and being able to kind of like actually verbalize it and talk about it, I don't think that's necessarily bad, but I think that mm-hmm. just means that like, like this is going to stay in the realm of fantasy for you. Like, I think that we all have fantasies and I don't just mean like sexual fantasies. I mean also like romantic fantasies or career fantasies or project fantasies or whatever. We all have fantasies and some, like some fantasies are just fantasy. Like they are things where it's like, Ooh, that sounds really nice. But actually I think in reality, mm-hmm. maybe it'd be too much of a pain or in reality, maybe it wouldn't feel as nice as I think that it would. Um, but it's okay to fantasize about again, whether that's sexual or career-wise or romantic or whatever but then there are some fantasies where it really is like no actually like I feel really compelled to do this and Mm -hmm. I feel like this would actually bring me a lot of joy and a lot of satisfaction um and so that first step is just getting honest um you know that's the step of getting honest with yourself and and not burying it and not denying it but then being able to be upfront with the people around you and whoever that may be often it's a partner you know, I work with a lot of people where it's a monogamous couple and maybe one person has realized, like, I actually really want to try this. And mm-hmm. they're like scared to death to actually tell their partner about it. And so it's encouraging people to be honest with their partner just about the fact that, like, they're thinking about this, they're interested in this. Um, and also, you know, I just really want to reiterate the being honest with yourself, because, you know, what my experience was 
for the first number of years, even after I realized like I want to do this and I want to get better at this, I still spent Mm -hmm. so many years like when I was trying to date people and find partners where I still kind of denied that this was actually something that I want as in like I wouldn't put it in dating profiles. I would kind of like wait to tell people until I felt like they actually liked me, you know, like I was so afraid of rejection. Like I so felt like if I'm actually honest with people about who I am and what I want, that they're not going to love me and they're going to reject me. And I see so many people uh, suffer from that assumption about themselves and this is not just people who want non-monogamy I think in monogamous dating too like so many people suffer from this idea of like there's no way I can be honest because no one's gonna love me or people are gonna run away screaming or I'm gonna get rejected and it's gonna hurt um and so that's what I kind of start encouraging people first and foremost is to start taking ownership and find find the ways that feel at least safe enough for you to start being honest about what it is that you want. Even if it doesn't mean like you're hopping into a dating site or you're hopping into a relationship with a new person or that you're going to force your partner to immediately open up. It doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, you know, it's, it's all going to go from zero to 60, but like that first step out the gate is like so crucial. I think in, in many things, not even yeah, in just in like all figuring out the aspects of the world. <laughs> so, you know, like, but I guess there is like a little bit of a parallel there in, you know, in coming out about your sexuality or about your gender that like the first step is getting mm-hmm. honest with yourself about that and then being able to be yeah. honest with other people. Yeah. I could not agree more. Okay. I, you talked a little bit earlier about like the flavors of polyamory and like swinging versus like Mm -hmm. full blown having multiple partnerships. And, and I know you talk about this a lot in the book, like some of the different (laughs) like ways to practice Uh this. So can you share a little bit more about like the Uh kinds of ways you might step into this lifestyle? Like some of them I was like, what? This is so interesting. (laughs) So I just, I, yeah, I would love to hear more. Yeah, no, it's so funny. It's that's another one of those things where every single time I think that I've seen every possible way that someone can do this, like I go to like a meetup or a discussion group and there's some other way that someone's doing that's this so and cool. I'm like, "Oh yeah. my goodness." Um Yeah, so I mean, people, you know, they find their access point into some flavor of of ethical non-monogamy in so many different ways, you know. It can be something as simple as like you and your partner decide to have a threesome with somebody, you know, like technically that's also ethical non-monogamy that you're agreeing and consenting to have this experience. That's technically non-monogamous. It's not just the two of you. Um, So for some people, it's kind of the more sexual, like maybe titillating route, like whether it's exploring some kind of group sex or going to play Mm -hmm. parties Um, for a lot of people their entry point is through the kink scene like I work with a lot of clients who are in the kink and BDSM scene um, where it's even you know not even necessarily you know having uh, non-monogamous sexual play but like just kink play that that maybe doesn't have anything whatsoever to do with any kind of sexual touch but it is still kinky Um, so sometimes people enter into it that way um some people will create some kind of open relationship with, um, gosh, what is it called? There's uh, something that's referred to as like a like a hundred mile rule. You know, I've seen some people kind of agree like, well, we're, we're pretty much pri- primarily monogamous. But like if you're ever on a business trip over a hundred miles mm-hmm. out of town, then you can go ahead and have your fun. And, 
you know, maybe you tell me about it, maybe you don't, but like, we've kind of agreed that like, that's what the rules are. Um, and some people will choose mm-hmm. to have multiple partners within a more strict hierarchical structure. Um, this particular topic, this is a much bigger topic and, and kind of a controversial topic, and I don't want to take too much time mm-hmm. uh, discussing it, but you know, some people kind of come to multiple partners with this concept of like, there needs to be this kind of tier system, essentially, like I need to have my primary partner, and then my secondary partner, and then my tertiary partner. Um, That works out great for some people, it works out really terribly for other people. And there's definitely a lot of discussion right now and has been for a number of years in the polyamorous community about like, if hierarchy is inherently ethical or unethical. Um, So that's just kind of one particular flavor. Um, Another flavor (laughs) is um, what's known as solo polyamory, Mm -hmm. uh, which is something that Aggie says, like who I mentioned earlier, she's kind of like the, uh, um, she's, I don't know, I don't want to call her like a figurehead. She's not like officially a figurehead, Mm -hmm. but but she's a content creator who like writes and talks a lot about solo polyamory, which is um, essentially kind of the idea of having multiple partners, but not necessarily seeking out to become part of a, a couple. As in, you know, like you enjoy having multiple partners, but you're not trying to like find someone to live with or to have kids with or things like that. Like in my life, I, I kind of like I, I identify as solo polyamorous, but then I also sometimes get stressed if I count because I live with a partner for part of the year, you know. Um, there's also this, this concept um, called relationship anarchy, uh, which is slowly becoming like a little bit more popular, which I absolutely like freaking adore and love. Um, relationship anarchy is this concept that came out of a, a queer community in Sweden in like 2006 or something like that. Um, if you Google relationship anarchy manifesto, you can find like this really short document. I think it's like 12 paragraphs. It's like less than two pages. And, um, and, uh, yeah, relationship anarchy is this concept of, uh, you know, kind of, Mm -hmm. um, letting each relationship in your life, you know, essentially self-govern is a weird way of saying it, but kind of like each in each relationship in your life, like you and that other person are the, are the people who decide what that relationship is going to look like and what agreements are going to be there as opposed to relying on what we've kind Mm -hmm. of been taught by society at large about what it should look like. Um, so as in it could be, you know, like two best friends who, live together who decide that like they actually they want to co-parent together they're going to raise a child together but instead of also being in a romantic and sexual relationship they choose to have other romantic and sexual partners but they are building a co-parenting relationship so something like that where it's kind of like we can have the relationship that we want and kind of go to the buffet and pick the parts that we want and it doesn't have to all come pre-packaged essentially um and i honestly i why one of the reasons why I really love relationship anarchy is because I think that a person can choose to have romantic and sexual monogamy in their life, but also still be a relationship anarchist. Um, that's, but that, that's a whole thing I could talk about for hours and hours and hours. I would just recommend people to like go Google the relationship anarchy manifesto. And I think that, yeah, I'll put it in the show yes, notes for you guys. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> okay. So 
that's a lot of options. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's and there's and trust me, like there's so many more options in between. Yeah, because I also feel like I've I've and again I've been doing the deep dive, but like there's I, I've been finding it really intriguing. Maybe it's because I am married and I'm part of like you know a, a duo situation, you know. Right. But it's like I've I've been reading a lot about like the like is it triad versus like polycule experience Mm, where it's like you like have multiple relationships like all together and it's just like this this really interesting concept where I imagine I imagine that would be really challenging um from like a emotional standpoint and I I do want to dive into like the jealousy concept with you too because I feel like so many people listening to this are probably like but how do you not get jealous but how? Right. right, right. Well, really quickly, yeah, just to touch on the triad thing, like that was one format that I completely forgot about. Like, yes, there are some people where, um, you know, like for instance, like the triad mm-hmm. is like three people who are all dating each other at the same time. Um, or there's mm-hmm. quads also where it's four people all dating each other at the same time. I think the reason why I didn't even think to mention those is that their real life frequency is actually... Um, actually like they're not as common as people perceive them to be like for some reason i think the media always Mm -hmm. thinks that polyamory means everyone's in a big weird group communal relationship um when like in like in reality like actual like ongoing long-term like Mm -hmm. high functioning triads and quads are a little bit of at least an anecdotal rarity in my experience um but yes like people do do them i've been in a triad before like a couple of different triads and a quad before and, and stuff like that um but I just, it is just funny that like, uh, you know, people mm-hmm. always for some reason make that assumption yeah. that it's like, oh, okay, like you're all like there's six of you. And so you're all in a relationship together and that's how it works, mm-hmm. which is usually not the case. Um, but yeah, the jealousy question, the number one question, the number one question everyone wants to know. Um, and uh, yeah, let me try to think of like the, the best way to even start on that. A couple things, you know, one of them being that I think that something that you already picked up on is the fact that I think a lot of jealousy is taught to us, really, Um, or at least how we react to jealousy. I don't think the feeling itself is necessarily taught to us, um, but I think how we choose to react to jealousy is definitely taught to us. Um, And I think it's interesting because we experience jealousy in our lives in a variety of relationships, not just our romantic and sexual relationships. Like we experience jealousy when we're very young, like when a sibling gets more attention from mom than we do. We experience jealousy when a friend gets something that we really wanted to have. We experience jealousy Mm -hmm. when a coworker gets the promotion that we thought that we were going to get. Like we experience jealousy all the time. And for some Mm -hmm. reason we're kind of taught that like that kind of jealousy is manageable. You find ways to figure it out. Romantic sexual jealousy, like not manageable whatsoever, you know, like avoid it at all costs. And so first of all, there's that kind of weird discrepancy that we're taught is that for some reason, like jealousy that pops up in a romantic relationship can't be tolerated whatsoever, but jealousy Mm -hmm. that comes up in the rest of our life, we can find coping mechanisms for, um, So there's even just that, even just kind of leveling the playing field and realizing that like jealousy is jealousy, regardless of of the context that it comes up in. And 
there are coping me mechanisms and it's manageable. Um, and then, so like yeah. that's kind of one piece of the puzzle. Another piece of the puzzle is the fact that when jealousy does come up, it is such a good opportunity to start looking mm -hmm. inward into like, mm -hmm. well, what is the trigger of that jealousy? Like what actually lies underneath that? And for a lot of people, it's a mixture of, mm. you know, usually it's like, usually it's a mixture of like fear and sadness and anger. And, and honestly, even underneath the sadness and anger is usually just fear. So usually it's just a fear response. It's, you know, it's the fear that uh, I'm not going to be loved. It's the fear that I'm going to be abandoned. It's the fear that I'm going to be left out. It's the fear that I'm going to be ignored. It's, it's so many different fears. And so, you know, once you realize, like, what mm -hmm. is the fear that's coming up underneath this, then you actually have the information for being able to kind of figure it out and solve it. And usually it's a mixture. Um, it's a particular ratio of external and internal factors. So as far as on the external side, mm -hmm. you know, maybe you realize that you have this, like, particular fear of abandonment. Like, maybe that comes from childhood or past relationships or whatever. And so externally maybe that looks like you know first of all just talking to your partner about it you know talking to your partner about having this fear or having this insecurity maybe it's t it's mm -hmm. strategizing with your partner on ways that can help you to, to help to make you feel a little bit better maybe it's something like yeah. you know like you know call me when you're on your way home or hey let's you know like if we have plans in the calendar that we're going to hang out next week and then I'll feel a little bit better about not seeing you for a week or whatever so there's kind of the external factors to make it more manageable and then the internal factor which is the kind of uh, trickier part is is the lifelong work of like how do we heal the fears and hurts that we have mm -hmm. inside of us um and so you know that's the part that you know is easier said than done of course and that's the part that takes a lot more time um but you know i've definitely found for me that mm you know, having the experience of jealousy, it sucks. Like the actual feeling in your body, like it really sucks in the moment. It's no good and it's no fun. And, and it's definitely not something that anyone wants to feel, but it's been such a teacher for me over the years of like, what are the assumptions about myself? What are the negative things that I tell myself? Like, what are the assumptions I have about my partners like am I walking around with these assumptions that like my partners are not going to take care of me or that like or that I am going to be left alone or neglected or things like that um so that ends up being I think kind of the tough sell to people is because I can't tell people you know if you do x y and z you're not going to feel jealous or if you do x y and z for a certain amount of time you're going to eliminate all jealousy from your life like I can't tell people that but what I can tell right. people is that you're going to learn a lot more about yourself and learning a lot more about yourself is going to enable you to be able to have so much better communication, much stronger relationships. And that in itself is going to kind of have a feedback loop effect of helping you feel more secure and less likely to be jealous in the future. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think that that goes for any neck quote unquote negative feeling, right? Feeling that feels not comfortable, mm -hmm. feeling that we tend to shy away from feeling because it makes us not happy. And what we always perceive we need to be right. Is this like bubbly, right. happy version of ourselves, you know, but it's like, I think 
I think that mm. you're right. Like so much strength and like I'm thinking about like my my partner, like my husband, like we have navigated a lot of really hard things and we always, always talk about how those are the things that we are so grateful for because they made us so much stronger. You know, like, all, yeah, of course, like the, the fantastic, amazing moments are great to look back yeah. on. But when you really think about your life in general, whether it's with a partner or yourself, and you go back to those moments that have been pivotal moments in your life, chances are you're probably thinking about a moment that's hard, that made you feel pain or that taught you a lesson, right? And And so while jealousy is this thing Mm. that we believe we should never have to feel and it's on our partner, really it's on us. All feelings that we experience are on Mm. us. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's just the work we have to do for the rest of our lives. And whether we choose monogamy or not, you know, that's probably a feeling we'll feel. Right. Yeah, 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 definitely. And I think the other part of it is that, like, we're also so used to seeing romantic and sexual jealousy, usually in a context Mm. where there's also a lot of mistrust. Right. As in, like, if you have a partner who is sneaking around behind your back and trying to, like, hide things from you and lying to you, like, not only are you going to be not trustful of that person, but, like, it makes sense why you'd be jealous. Because, (laughs) you know, because there's some shady shit going on. And so, like... Like, so it's so in, I guess in those experiences, like, I, you know, I don't want to tell people like, well, if you're feeling sure. jealous of this, you know, like it's all on you because it's like, to a certain extent, there are external factors, but, but the thing is that like, it's not 100% internal and it's not 100% external either. Like you can't assume that it's all on your partner to protect your feelings and to make sure you never feel jealous. But then also it's not 100% on you. Like if someone in your life is doing something that actually really ruffles your feathers or crosses a boundary you can't mm-hmm. just like meditate your way through it and be zen as fuck and think that you're going to get right. rid of it. And trust yeah. me, I tried and it did not work. Yeah, <laughs> That shit does not work. No, but you need to be open and honest about mm-hmm. it and then create an agreement between the two of you of mm-hmm. how you can navigate that further. And if they continue to break that, well, then that's something to think about and something to, right. you know. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Oh my goodness. I feel like I could talk to you about this for fucking ever I'm gonna have to have you back because seriously this is I'm just so thankful that you've been so open and you guys have to all read Dedeker's book I will put it in the show notes for you guys it's seriously even if you are like not thinking about being open or having ethical non-monogamy as a part of your life I think it's just a very very incredibly important read um And I think the more that we can expand our minds as to what the possibilities of our lives could look like, um, we are just better people and better humans. And um, that's my goal. And I hope that you guys have been feeling that from this too. Okay, before we hop off though, I have some fun, fast questions for you. You ready? Okay, yeah, I'm ready. All right. Favorite curse word? Oh gosh, this one, favorite curse word. Um... Uh, you know what? It's changed, and this is going to sound really silly. Recently, instead of saying "God damn it," I've been saying "God bless it" a lot because <laughs> be- because first of all, my mom used to say it growing up because she didn't want to swear around us kids, and then second of all, because uh, myself and and the two other hosts that I run the Multi Emory podcast with, we just launched a new podcast called Drunk Bible Study. Mm. Um, where ironically, we're actually trying to not swear so much on that show. So now I say oh "God, God bless it," and that. <laughs> It makes me sound like so lame, but that's been my I love that's it, been though. my go-to also, these I days. Think that would be so hard for me. 
<laughs> I have such a potty mouth. <laughs> All right. Um, most magical place you've traveled to and why? Oh, magical. Um, gosh. Uh, okay. So there is a place in central Turkey called Cappadocia. And it's it's smack dab in the middle of the country. And in Cappadocia, there are these natural rock formations. And like like they don't look natural at all. Like they look maybe man-made or something out of a fantasy novel. Um, they look kind of like Smurf houses, essentially. Like, But they're all completely mm. natural rock formations. And the rock itself is very, very soft. And so for like thousands of years, people have been carving their homes and like churches and shelters into these rocks. And so Cappadocia is just like, I feel like, you know, when I went there and I've been there a couple times now, it feels like walking into like a weird, like sci-fi fantasy otherworldly planet. Like I had no idea there was a place on the planet that looks like this. Um, so that's definitely the most magical place that I've ever been that feels like really otherworldly. I want to go. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. It's I'm about so to look it cool. Up. It's so, so cool. Like, just, yeah, definitely at the very least, like Google, like do a Google image search on Cappadocia and you'll see what I mean. It's so amazing. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. All right. Mm-hmm. If you could go back and tell 16 year old Dedeker one thing, what would it be? Oh, gosh. Oh, you're going to make me cry. Oh, my goodness. 16-year-old Dedeker. Um, I guess, yeah, I would tell her, like, it's that the way she feels about liking multiple people is mm-hmm. okay. Like, that's okay. Like, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think I'd tell her to stop going to church also. <laughs> <laughs> it was around that time. I stopped going to church around 17, so it wasn't, you know, too It wasn't too later. far off, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. All right, and last one. What does it mean to you to live a fuck yes life? To live a fuck yes life. So I have to be totally honest that um, when I was telling my partner, Jace, about this podcast interview, I, I tripped up and instead of saying live your fuck yes life, I said live your fuckless life podcast. <laughs> and And at first... <laughs> At first I was like, oh, fuckless, like sexless. Oh, that's not good. But then I was like, wait, no, it's like fuckless. Like I don't give any fucks. And I'm like, now that I can get on board. And so I think that's what it's become for me is like kind of degaffing, like don't Mm. give a fuck, you know, like, uh, you know, just, just, I I don't know. I feel like I'm at this point in my life where I really have run out of like the, the number of like fucks that I can give to things and they're, Mm -hmm. so they're very precious. And so I don't give them out very often. So I think that's what it means to me is my fuck yes life is a fuck less life. That's the best answer I've ever gotten. (laughs) I'm going to put it on, I'm going to put it on a (laughs) t-shirt. Fuckless. Oh my gosh, I am dying. Oh my gosh. Okay. Stop laughing. Um, seriously, that's amazing. Um, Thank you so much for sharing your shit. Um, for everyone who's listening who may want to connect uh-huh. with you, who will want to connect with you on the interwebs and also all your podcasts, I'm going to post everything in the show notes, Great. you guys, but how can they find you online? Uh, yeah, so definitely you can go to DedekerWinston.com, particularly if you're interested in getting any kind of one-on-one coaching. That's the best place to go. Um, if you're interested in my podcast, which I host with two other people, it's called the Multi-Amory Podcast. You can go to MultiAmory.com or just you know type in Multi-Amory to Google or to iTunes or to Stitcher or whatever. You'll find us. Um, and to re- reiterate what you were saying earlier, particularly with the podcast, we've really striven to 
make sure that the podcast is accessible to people who are who are in totally traditional monogamous relationships. So it's kind of morphed more into a podcast that's just about like non-conventional relationship advice and communication hacks and tools and stuff like that. So I definitely recommend people check that out. Um, mm-hmm. And you can always hit me up on Twitter, just at Dedeker Winston. You may have to look up in the show notes to see how to spell my name, but you can find me yeah, there. Your name is spelled so awesomely it's, it's what is it from it's um it's a family name it's it's like a belgian german okay. name and half Ooh. of it is ease and it's it's really trips people up but people remember it which is the good thing yeah no it's super memorable mm-hmm. i love it i'm just like amanda mm-hmm. so it's so lame so <laughs> commonplace <laughs> uh-huh. well thank uh-huh. you so much you are an absolute gem and i'm just oh, so excited you. to share this combo excellent thank you so much for having me on And there you have it. Thank you so much, Dedeker, for coming on the podcast. And for all of the show notes and everything we talked about on today's episode, you can either check it out on your podcast app and swipe and check it out there, or you can head over to www.amandacatherineloy. That's Catherine with a K, like karma. You guys, if you've been around here for a long time, are you proud of me that I thought of a different word other than kite um dot com forward slash podcast forward slash 35 and if you love this episode or you found it uh eye-opening and engaging reach out to Dedeker let her know um and also share this with a friend um share um this on Instagram either in your insta stories or maybe a really fancy awesome um snapshot of you listening to this in your car um just don't do it while you're driving <laughs> um or um enjoying your morning coffee whatever it it is. Um, or if you want to be my best friend in the whole freaking planet, um, leave a review on iTunes. It really does help the podcast grow so much and help me get amazing sponsors and really incredible brands. Um, like I've started getting for you guys, um, for the pod. So I love you guys so much and thank you so, so, so much for being here. And until next Thursday, I will see you on the flip side. Bye-bye.